when you're trying to learn something new, it has to be effortful. Here's an example. Good morning. Happy Monday. I have Neuro Coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. Monday. Busy day. Uh, quick reminder, IFSU members, I will see you all at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, live from the Purple Room for today's Q&A. So I will see you there. Um, if you haven't signed up for IFSU, I suggest you do so, so you can participate in that call as well. Um, today's Q&A segment is from a call. Actually, it's the, the Coffee and Coaches Conference call from last Thursday. We went like an hour and 45 minutes, I think. It was a really long call, but man, it flew by. Um, questions were great. People are stellar talk about embracing the struggle when you're trying to learn something complex this is a couple of segments that are actually really really good in that respect it's like how to intervene when you're not really sure what to do how do you know what to learn and and so again i appreciate the people on this call especially uh, manuel and borbala thank you for offering up your questions and participating in this call so uh, if you have any questions yourself go to askbillhartman at gmail.com askbillhartman at gmail.com and let's go right to the call segment for today no 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 how would i determine how do i i, I how do i test or know that when I see this, this issue in somebody, how do I know it's either down pump handle or too much compression on the posterior side? Okay. So there's a couple ways that you can do this without ever having to measure anything. Number one, you've already recognized the glitch in the, in the lift itself. Right. Mm -hmm. And you've already determined that it's a lack of internal rotation, right? It, well, it's a lack of physically keeping the bar close. And I know right. it's not a technique issue. Right. So do something that brings the pump handle up and see if it gets better. Mm -hmm. And then do something that expands posteriorly and see if it gets better. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. So that's, a, that's, a, that's an allowable experiment. Like if you're not sure, intervene, do something and then see what happens. And that, that will confirm your suspicion. So next time you see this, you can go, oh, this is going to be either an internal rotation problem or an external rotation orientation, right? Okay. And then you're, make, you're going to make that association. That's how we do this. That's actually how we do this. Okay. How would you address the orientation problem? If it, if it is well, an orientation. orientation problem. So, so what are they doing to get there? So, so they don't have external rotation and they're squeezing their shoulder blades together to get external rotation. How do you get external rotation? You have to expand the space. You have to expand the space between the scapula, right? We, we call it dorsal rostral expansion for fun. Does that make sense, that term? Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so you need to do some of those activities. So. Now, have you ever seen the, the video I did, um, the uh, uh, Better Band Pull Apart? Yes. Great one for that, for, especially for people that are, that are performing on their feet. Right? So, so that, is, that will enhance your ability to expand that area. Okay. Okay. But you're still going to have technical issues because they've been using that technique for who knows how long, right? Mm -hmm. And they're just... They're just following their path they're they're executing based on what their body has the capabilities to do right yeah yeah and and i know there's a lot of ways the lifts can go wrong where you can push it out there and that's why i wanted to 
minimize that those aspects because the one thing you want to recognize in in that type of a lift that is that if the bar is moving away from the body they're moving away from the bar somewhere right it it is a it is a substitution yeah it becomes simple physics Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it's if it's a tech, like I said, if, when you're seeing a technical problem, right? You already know there's a problem. You just have to recognize, like in, in that position under those circumstances, what movements do I need to be able to access? Okay. If they have a problem at that point, then I say they probably can't do X, right? So I look at, say, where's the relative position of the hip? Where's the relative position of the shoulder? What would be the greatest limitation under those circumstances? Mm-hmm. And then that directs my thought process. Do I have an ER problem or an IR problem? Because okay. ultimately that's what you're gonna end up doing. That's the goal. The goal is to not have to lay people on a table to figure stuff out. Right. The goal is to look at something and say, I know that under these circumstances, I have to be able to access a certain range of motion and you're not doing it. Right. Right. You ever seen you ever seen somebody do a do a split squat and and they start to lower themselves and everything looks fine and wonderful. And the closer they get to that 90 degree uh, hip bend, the, the one side of the pelvis keeps it stays up and doesn't drop down with the other one. You know what that is? It's a lack of internal rotation. Real simple. How do I know that? Because I need internal rotation to access that that point without the compensatory strategy. So I didn't have to lay anybody on the table. I didn't have to do any funny tests or anything like that. I just go, oh, you don't have internal rotation. So let me modify this to make it easier for you to access internal rotation. So what what do I do? I, I throw their foot up on a box that unweights that front leg because maybe it's just too much load. It's really simple. It's like, take the load off, see if they can still do it. If they can't do that, then I have to change exercises, right? So again, it's just a matter of, of, of identifying something, intervening, and then seeing what happens. Okay. You see it? Yeah. Understanding, understanding what, what parts of the body are influencing the outcome of the movement is important. I'm not, I'm not negating that, but ultimately you're already seeing this stuff. Like your descriptions to me are great because you tell me exactly what the limitation is. What you don't quite understand yet is like, when I see that, what's the limitation? So that's where you focus your, your learning process. Right. You say, I need to understand, I need to better understand what areas of compression expansion influence my ability to move through space. Then you can take it to the gym. Then you have the coach's eye, right? Because you already see it. You just need to understand it. Yeah, that's why I'm here. There you go. Me too. I do this, you know, I do this, so I get better, right? It's purely mm-hmm. selfish on my part. No, I, I get it. Yeah. Teach to learn. On that note, it's not a, well, it's, it is a question. Is there anywhere like a flow chart about this? No. <laughs> because like, I always put like little pieces together, like what you said about like the split squat and like modifying the weight. But like the other time we talked about like modifying the foot position for it. 
Uh and like it's just like little pieces and for me like it's nice even if it's like a complicated system it's nice to see like what are the variables that I can modify so like for each client I could put put the most appropriate one or like the like think about all of those things it's just it seems like a very um yeah I just like systems. It's complex. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes. It's not it's easy. Complex. Is that what you're saying? And I'm a and it, and I'm like a visual learner, so like I would like if it would be like a system, like it would be beautiful. <laughs> systems fail. I yeah, systems but there's like fail. a framework or something. Fail. Well, you're so we're talking about a model here, Borbala, right? Yeah. That's what that's what we're that's literally what we're talking about. Um, yeah. So it only took me 30 years to get here. How much time you got? <laughs> I guess I have 30. <laughs> so, so hang on. So let, let's talk about this a little bit because, because I, I, I think it's an issue. In a, it, it, we're in very young industries, whether you're in rehab or whether you're, or whether you're in the fitness industry or whatever, you're in very young industries. And so what young industries do is they want easy and they want a cookbook, right? They want the recipe. They, they, they say, um, so I'm making boeuf bourguignon for dinner. Where's Austin? Is he still on the call? Because Austin's a great cook. Um, but I don't think he uses recipes, right? So, so I'm making boeuf bourguignon tonight, Austin. Um, I need a recipe. And it's going to taste just like when Julia Childs made it, right? Probably not. Doubt it, yeah. Okay. So what you're asking me for is cookbook right? Or you continue to take pieces and you struggle and then you learn how to put them together and then you master this and then you become the chef because then you can manipulate this at will. Rather than having say, if I see this, then do that, right? Then you only have one if then, and then what are you going to do when that fails? Right? I yeah. Seriously, what are you yeah, going to do? Yeah. What, what, so, so let's go back to the split squat example. You see somebody lowering him down. You see that one hip that kind of stays up and you go, oh, that's a lack of internal rotation. Bill said, put their front foot up on a box. Cool. Uh-oh, that didn't work. Now what do I do? Because all you did was memorize an if and a then. You didn't recognize the principle. I'm, I'm asking more about the principles. Like, okay, so, so because like we were principle? talking about like so we were talking about like lowering the center yeah. of gravity okay and then so i was wondering like for me like what's missing is that part is okay. those like principles like for the lowering of gravity i need internal rotation yeah right and then yep. i need like a posterior like and depending on where i'm going i need a different location where i can expand or Correct. like where i can right Okay, awesome. so those, those are just the thought process that I just need to go through in my head or with someone. Right. Okay. <sighs> so let's start, let's start really, really simple. Yeah. Let's start really, really simple. When I take a breath in, do I internally rotate or externally rotate? Take a breath in that I'm... Do you get bigger or do you get smaller when you take a breath in? I'm external, like ERing, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. When you, take a, when you blow out, do you, do you internally or externally rotate? Uh, IR. Cool. Okay. What position represents Done. internal rotation of the pelvis? Internal rotation of the pelvis. Yeah. If I'm exhaling, what is what does my pelvis look like? Do, do you know? What does it look like? Like 
elephant ears going in <laughs> like what do okay. you mean so 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 what is like do you know how to describe it probably not well okay so so guess what you're going to study today that <laughs> you're going to figure out what the inhaled and the exhaled position of mm -hmm. the pelvis are right and when as soon as you understand that now you're going to say oh so when i get into the lower part of the split squat the pelvis should look like this if it doesn't I need to do something that makes it look like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Okay, so this is how you layer it. So you, so you already understand the principle. It's you just, just I need, me. yeah. You just explained the principle to me, <laughs> right? Together, yeah. What you need, what you need is another, is another um, mm -hmm. element of detail, right? So, oh, so if I need internal rotation, what does that look like? This is how you do it. This is how you do it. This is where the struggle is. This is where you got to do the work, right? And again, I can tell you exactly what it looks like. Like I can say, oh, it's a mutated sacrum on an IR at ilium. I have an outlet that, ex that, that widens. And then the, I get a, a pelvic diaphragm that it becomes concentrically oriented, right? I can tell you all that stuff, right? But it's not going to be meaningful. You can repeat it now. Like you can, you can, you can go into social media and go, oh, I'm working on the bottom of the split squat. And, and you can repeat exactly what I said, but you're not going to understand it. Yep. Right. What you want to do is, is you want to, I, like, I need you guys to understand that, that you got to struggle for this stuff. It's like, yeah, I can lay out a cookbook for you, but it's going to fail. Mm -hmm. Right. But when you piece it together yourself and you struggle a little bit and you fail miserably a number of times with yourself or with clients safely, don't hurt them. Don't hurt them. Okay. That's where you're going to really start to how to piece together. I've been waiting for this question. Let's talk about why herniated discs are actually an early propulsive problem. Good morning. Happy Tuesday. I have neuro coffee in hand and mm, oh, it is perfect. Okay. Busy Tuesday, clinic day. Got to get rolling. Let's dig into today's Q&A. Um, this one comes from Zach and Zach, this is going to be a great question because I've been waiting for this one because I think I got a pretty good explanation, at least something that's useful. And so uh, Zach says, I was wondering if you could explain through your model why someone might present with a directional preference in the case of low back pain with radiculopathy, example, peripheralization with flexion and centralization with extension or vice versa, or someone who doesn't centralize with either. We were always just taught that this could occur, but was never provided with a rationale as to why people present differently. Also, how would your treatment strategies change based off of someone's directional preference? Or does your model already account for this in some way and the need to consider the directional preference becomes less important? Thanks as always, Zach. Great question. Okay, so we're kind of talking about um, stuff that's related that we'll see related to disc herniations, radiculopathies, referred pain, and things like that. So, so let's talk about that first and foremost. So how does this whole disc thing come into, come into play? How do we evolve a herniation? So. Um, what we want to start to think about is, okay, so we have a change in the disc and how does that happen? And so what we have to do is we have to have some way to change the disc. 
And if we look at discs, they don't have great blood supply, so they are very reliant on the bone, um, the subchondral bone, very specifically as to where they're going to get their groceries, their water, and, and their oxygen. And so we're going to get diffusion from the subchondral bone of all these nutrients into the disc. That's how the disc is going to remain healthy. But let's say that we squish down on this, this blood supply in some way, shape, or form. So let's just say, oh, I don't know, we have an anterior orientation that puts a posterior compressive strategy on the vertebral body, and we now have a reduction in blood flow to that posterior aspect of the disc. So the disc is your basic radial tire kind of a representation. So we've got multiple layers. We've got helical orientation of fibers going in all different directions. This sucker is actually very durable and very, very strong under most circumstances until you take away its nutrition and then it starts to break down. And so over time then, what we have is a situation where you have a, a weakening of this, this posterior aspect of the disc. And so what I'm going to offer you, Zach, is that this whole situation starts with the disc becoming a yielding strategy that we would normally use in early propulsion. So um, let me give you an example of how this looks in the thorax. So if I take a cross section of a thorax and I'm going to create a turn or I'm going to create a delay. So, so what you're looking at is you look at the small arrows and the posterior aspect of this thorax and that would represent a concentric yielding strategy that I would use in the posterior aspect of the thorax is if I was taking a step forward or making a turn. So the yield creates a delay to allow the other side of the body to, to get ahead as if I was taking a step forward. Now, if we look at what a, a disc protrusion looks like, you will see this scary kind of similarity as to how this process is going to be initiated. And so all I have to do is have reduction in the resiliency of this posterior disc and now I can create a greater degree of expansion on one side or the other and so again the disc becomes this fractal representation of a larger representation in, in the thorax or in, in the pelvis and so because early propulsion requires that I have a yielding strategy on that side, what if I can't yield? And so under the circumstances of say an anterior orientation of the pelvis, I'm actually gonna get a reduction in the yielding strategy. So what this would look like, Zach, is if I anteriorly orient the pelvis, I can't create this yield. So the yield is where I'm gonna see this counternutation and an ER in this posterior aspect of the pelvis. So this is my delay strategy as this foot lands on the ground. So if I was looking at a foot, let me grab my foot here. What I have to have in this early propulsive strategy is a foot that looks like that. And so again, this is a delay strategy. So this is my early propulsive strategy, which creates the delay that allows the other side of the body to get ahead. And so again, if I have an anterior orientation, that produces this posterior compressive strategy in the vertebral body. It's gonna reduce the blood flow to the disc or the, the diffusion to the disc, and then I get my breakdown. So now I start with my bulge, my protrusion, my herniation, my extrusion, or my sequestration, depending on the degree that this, this process is allowed to evolve. And so if the disc becomes my yielding strategy, now I can sensitize the nociceptors in that disc, right? So right away, so there's my at minimum, 
I could be getting some measure of low back pain associated with that. The stronger the yielding strategy that I would be using, the greater the stimulus to the nociceptors. And so we kind of know this, that, that if we're dif differentiating between, say, um, referred pain or, or radicular pain. So there is a difference. There's actually a significant difference. Um, the radicular pain tends to be very, very, very sharp, um, stabbing, um, knife-like pain is typically the way people are going to, to describe this. And when we talk about radicular pain from the research, what they're gonna say is, well, anything past the knee would be considered radicular pain, but I would caution you uh, against that belief system. Um, there's a study from way back before you were born um, in the late 80s by uh, Haldeman that showed that when they stimulated the disc, depending on the degree of stimulation, they could actually produce pain that, that went down well down into the leg past the knee. And this was not ridiculous, this is actually referred. The referred pain tends to be more of like this dull, non-specific kind of a kind of a pain versus like the sharp stabby kind uh, of the ridiculous. But the, the point I'm trying to make here is that is that is that the degree of stimulus so the degree of yielding strategy that i'm that i'm relying on this disc to produce is going to increase the intensity and therefore the the uh proliferation or or the degree of the referred pain so the farther down the leg that i'm going to experience this that means i'm just getting a greater stimulus to the disc so now you get an idea of why some people centralize and some people might not because let's just say that i have a greater expansive strategy or i'm, I'm demanding more yielding strategy on this this disc and so there's the greater stimulation so that's going to create more more pain down the leg might be harder for me to centralize however when i do put somebody on their belly and i take tension off of this this demand for yielding on this side that might be why i see this so-called centralization phenomenon which might not be centralization per se it's just reducing the amount of stimulus to these nociceptors and so again that's one of those things that we we have to to take into consideration is is this this quality of pain the degree of the stimulation and that's going to help determine who's going to respond um, more than, than, than another human being. So if we want to start talking about solutions, Zach, what we want to start to think about is that we always have a directional preference. So one of your comments is, does the model already account for this in some way? Absolutely it does, because it doesn't have to revolve around pain as far as our directional preference. We always have one based on our structure, our orientation, and any compensatory strategies that we may apply. So that's exactly what you're looking at. What you're looking at though, is the response of, of in, in this situation, when we're talking about a disc injury, we're, we're talking about where the yielding strategy is applying. So, so number one is don't do stuff that hurts, okay? That's kind of like the, the obvious. And then second, treat the human. So we wanna use our measures that we would typically use to identify what their true preferences are based on their structure and their orientation. And like I said, any uh, compensatory strategies. Most likely what you're gonna to have to do, depending on which side that you're dealing with, is you're gonna to have to restore the normal early propulsive strategies. Now, let me give you a simple rule of thumb. If you're dealing with a left-sided issue, you're probably gonna have a pelvis that is oriented forward and it's gonna be driven more on the left than it is on the right. And so we're gonna see this later propulsive strategy on the left driving forward. If we have symptoms on the right, typically what we're gonna have, we're gonna have an anterior orientation of the pelvis, but it's gonna be tipped on the oblique axis. So, so right away, now we have some resources to deal with. Number one, I would go look at the video they did about a week ago where I was talking about hip flexion and propulsion. So you understand the early and late propulsive strategies from the ground up. So we talked about the foot and we talked about the pelvis there. 
Secondly, what I would do is I go through all the videos that are talking about restoring hip ranges of motion and especially the ones that discuss the propulsive phases. And so this is heels elevated stuff for the early propulsive strategies and, and the like of that. So Zach, this is a great question. Um, the, to, to wrap it up into a nutshell, a herniated disc is most likely based on my model and my understanding, and I'm willing to be wrong here, so keep that in mind, I'm willing to be wrong. It's most likely an early propulsive problem. So you're using the disc as the yielding strategy in early propulsion rather than distributing it through the system from the foot, through the extremity, through the pelvis, through the thorax, through the cervical spine, and even through the, the, the cranium. So having a distributed yield, now we have a focal yield and the disc is unfortunately taking the load for us here. So um, I hope that answers your question. If it doesn't, go to askbillharmon at gmail.com, askbillharmon at gmail.com, and I will see you guys tomorrow. I'll bet you my mom is faster than your mom. Good morning. Happy Wednesday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect as usual. Okay. Uh, today is Wednesday. That means tomorrow is Thursday, which means 6 a.m. Thursday morning. We've got coffee and coaches conference call. These calls have been killer. We've been going long and hard on those things too. So a lot of great people showing up, a lot of great questions. Please join us if you would like. Um, just post your coffee prep and send me a tag on the Instagram and we will let you in. How about that? That seems fair. Okay, Wednesday, always tight. Gotta go right into the Q&A. Um, today's Q&A comes from Austin and it's a little bit different question, which is kind of cool. This is a, this is about a population that is kind of underserved, I think. Um, Austin says, I work with a fair number of elderly individuals. One common issue with this population is fall risk, which has been tied to a loss of power production, AKA compression with age. How can we make a positive impact with these individuals via your model? What compressive elements would you target? Okay. So we got to clarify a concept right off the bat. Um, force production is great. Um, we've got a number of people at, at IFAST and, and I, I, our share of retirees, if you will, um, that, are, that come in and, and work really, really hard. They can rip a couple hundred pounds off the, off the floor any day of the week, which is really cool. And we're very proud of them. But, but when we're talking about power production, um, what we have to start to think about is is the power that we're demonstrating is the ability to go from compression to expansion to compression or vice versa, expansion to compression to expansion. Um, the ability to shift from, from the, the compression to expansion very, very quickly is going to be our representation of power. One of the things we have to recognize is that force production is demonstrated during this compressive strategy, but the velocity, the speed that somebody needs to move is actually demonstrated during the expansion strategies. And so what a lot of people um, are lacking is the ability to release the compression quickly enough, expand to, to allow, say, a stepping uh, reaction to occur to protect themselves from the fall or for any, anyone to actually change direction and, and maintain their balance, this, the, these strategies need to be in play. And so, so step one for this population that you're talking about, Austin, we want to make sure that they can expand so we do have the velocity available to us. And so depending on the level of the individual that you're working with, so I'm gonna, this is gonna be example heavy here as we go through this. Um, 
I want to I want to show you some low level stuff and then we'll move towards things that are that are a little bit more dynamic and then at some point in time you're just going to treat these people like you would any other other athlete which is actually kind of cool because there's there's nothing wrong with these people they just need to move through a progression depending on what their initial uh conditions are so what we may do is we actually throw them down on the table and we may actually have to teach them how to capture some form of expansion and so we might actually do this passively um, initially we'll, we'll put them in static positions we might actually um, use some form of implement to create this this reciprocal compression expansion through the axial skeleton um, using extremity positions to put them in force production on one side expansion on the other we might move them in the sideline which is a great place to start to restore expansion strategies because what this is actually going to lead into is we'll get them down on on the floor or like i said depending on your your environment that you're working in austin you would have like a mat table available to you to, to work on some of these things but this is where we're going to start to work on some some rolling activities we want to make sure that we're driving these rolls with with lower extremity and upper extremity drivers because um, we never know what the situation may be so let's just consider the fact that okay somebody does fall they have to be able to, to move about they have to be able to, to roll to change positions they have to be able to to get themselves back up off the floor which is a big challenge under some circumstances so this is one of the reasons why we might use say crawling progression so we'll use quadruped activities and actually work on, on some of these crawling elements so consider the fact that somebody falls they have to roll from from their back to their belly or vice versa they have to be able to crawl over to a piece of furniture that might actually help them go from the from the ground all the way back up to standing um, half kneeling activities are actually great um, because what we can actually do is we can create this influence of moving into and out of the cut and so so the progression that you're looking at right now is actually the the shape change that we would promote through the axial skeleton if we were moving into and then out of a cut and so we can actually do this progressively so we can actually capture the the physical shapes that that our client may need to to change direction and then we can take this and we can move this into a, a standing variation where we can actually move them into a, a cutting situation um, speaking of standing we go into standing activities we can use supported activities to help promote and maintain expansion as they're learning how to to lower their center of gravity so so we talk about level changes with our athletes we get the same situation with our elderly population so we'll start with extremity supported type activities we'll move to single leg supported activities as well to eventually where we go to an unsupported situation and then we're going to play with with stances so we're going to put them in staggered stance and we'll put them in a, in a side split or whatever we may want to do and just work on that so working from static positions towards dynamic um, you know i'm going to talk about a box squat here so when we talk about level changes box squats are the best thing going because um, we, we can actually start to manage some of these internal pressures that we always talk about and we just start them from from a higher box and we slowly bring them down to, to the lower box to eventually this becomes just the the old school get up and go so they're going to come up from the box they're going to get up and they're going to try to move as quickly as they can across the room now one of the things that we do with athletes is we want to teach them 
how to use a, an oscillatory impulse. So, so they have to learn how to create the compression, expansion, compression strategies as well, because that's how they're going to produce force. So this doesn't change. So we're, we're, we would use something a little bit more high velocity, a little bit more load, a little bit more challenging stance. What we're gonna do with our elderly folks is we're gonna start them in these static positions with variations in stance, but we're still gonna use the release move. So, so they're going from compression to expansion to compression again. So this is a great way to introduce this. It does challenge their balance. They have to bring themselves back to um, a controlled center of gravity. So again, very, very valuable here. Once, once they've demonstrated all of these things, now we're just gonna take away as many constraints as we can and we wanna to start to, to build some speed. And so uh, the easiest way to do this is to unweight them just a little bit. So we're gonna use like a banded step up here and we're gonna work on some of the velocity. So a quick step, um, the step up makes it a little bit easier. It reduces some of the forces that they'll have to absorb. The band pull down reduces some of the gravity as well, allows them to expand a little bit more effectively, um, which will allow them to demonstrate this velocity. And then like I said, we just move them to the ground and we start to throw uh, like a, a multi-directional stepping or multi-directional lunging progression at them. Um, but the point being is we wanna think about, about um, uh, being as progressive as possible, being as creative as possible, make it as challenging to, to their appropriate level. So one of the things that we wanna do eventually is, is to allow them to absorb more force. And so this is eventually going to be some of our step down progressions. We can make it as coordinative as we want to and challenging as we want to with changes of direction and such. Um, eventually what this is all going to turn into is some form of progressive step up. We're, we're gonna progress them into medicine ball work. And like I said, we're eventually just gonna treat them like an athlete. The thing that I want you to recognize is, is like I said, your only limitation is your creativity and then a little bit of understanding about how we're gonna move from compression to expansion to compression strategies. So we don't have to treat these folks any differently than anyone else. We just have to grade the activities to the appropriate level. So Austin, I hope that's helpful for you. Um, I hope the examples are useful. If not, and you got more questions, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com askbillhartman at gmail.com and I will see you guys tomorrow morning on the Coffee and Coaches Conference Call. Good morning. Happy Thursday. I have Neuro Coffee in hand and Michelle, it is perfect. So, so the, the thing you want to recognize is that as a human, you produce your own forces inside, right? So inside of you is stuff and that moves and it moves very specifically depending on what you're doing, right? So when I breathe in, it moves in one direction. When I breathe out, it moves in another direction, okay? And it moves in, a, in a accelerations, if you will, okay? It spins, there's momentums, so there's a lot of force going on inside. And then there's forces that you have to, to manage outside that are, in, that are imposed upon you, right? So you produce your own and then there's forces that are imposed upon you. And what we see in movement, so someone's movement capabilities as we're measuring them or as we're observing them do something, what we're seeing is the resultant behavior of the movement system within that context, right? So when you see a turn like that, what you're seeing is a strategy that someone is using 
to manage all of those combined forces. It moves and then it can be magnified based on what you're doing, right? So think about how hard you might breathe or how hard you might hold your breath or any other strategy. If I'm lifting a heavier weight, I am magnifying those forces, which means that the strategy must be magnified as well. And so depending on my physical structure, depending on my capabilities, then that's what they're demonstrating. So, so their turn that you're seeing is a strategy to create a result, right? So their, their goal, if they're doing a press, their goal is to say, Manuel said, I got to press this overhead. I'm going to press it overhead. And so then they use that strategy to the best of their ability. So it's always going to be there. Remember when we were talking about uh, Sulemanalu mm-hmm. coming up out of the the uh, the clean, yeah, at the Olympics, and and you see the you see his hips kick to the right, and he goes into this harsh hardcore kind of a side bendy kind of a thing, right? He got the lift done. So what he was doing is he had all of these combined forces, internal and external, and you saw the result of how he had to manage all of those forces at that moment in time. And so that's what he did. That was his solution to the problem. So when you see the turn, it's a solution. And you might not like it because it's not pretty, but, but they don't have a choice at that moment in time. So if you don't like it and you wanna make a change, then that's why you have to impose activities upon them to give them alternatives or better management strategies in your mind. So, it's, and again, it's, it's kind of like the same thing we we're talking about on the IFSU call. It's like, you know, when you see the knees coming in, that's a solution to the problem. And again, you might not like it, but it's a solution nonetheless. You ever spot somebody that is doing a PR bench press? Yeah. You ever see it come up unevenly? Sure. And they finished? Sure. Yeah. You know why they did that? It was their strategy, right? They had to. They're at a threshold where staying even wasn't going to work. I made myself uneven and I finished the lift. And again, I'm not saying whether that's good. I'm not saying whether it's bad. I'm just saying that that is the strategy that they're using under the circumstances. doesn't mean you have to accept it. It just means that you have to make a decision as to what are you willing to accept and then consider the context. Okay. Okay. At a PR level of effort, that, that means that you've never been there before. Okay. This is a lift you have never accomplished in the history of your life. You have no idea what you're going to be exposed to. You have no idea what it feels. You have no idea what strategy you're going to have to use. And then they figured a strategy out and they completed the lift. That's what a PR is. Some people might be able to do it more symmetrically than others. And some people might need to skew into massive amounts of asymmetry to finish the lift because the goal is to finish the lift. There are are reasons that these people are world-class, okay? Because they're not normal. Normal and average people don't do amazing things. Usain Bolt runs, what what did he run, a 959? Something like that, yeah. He ain't normal. Like I don't, I don't expect him to have normal hip rotation. I don't expect him. I expect him to have an anteriorly oriented pelvis. I expect his 
anterior rib cage to be a little bit more expanded than his posterior rib cage because he runs really fast in a straight line in a very specific direction. And if he doesn't expand in the right direction, guess what happens? He slows down, right? So again, what are the considerations here? Who are we working with? What are we trying to do? Are we trying to, to achieve something that, that no one has ever done before? Or are we just trying to help people move comfortably? There's a difference. We have to take that into consideration. And then that determines, well, what am I willing to accept? Okay. Right? It's, it's gotta be a, a difficult mid-ground to establish. Welcome to the world of complexity. So what if flexion doesn't exist? Good morning. Happy Friday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. So I'm still kind of fired up about yesterday's uh, coffee and coaches conference call. We covered a, a tremendous amount of ground. Um, a little bit of discomfort on that call, um, as, as there always is when we're trying to unlearn and relearn. But, but again, some really, really great questions. Um, and one of the things that we talked about was some of the interference that's associated with thinking in the imaginary sagittal and imaginary frontal planes. And so there's a discussion on, on the difference between overhead reach and overhead press because they are not the same. And so we can't refer to those in, in these planar representations because it just creates interference in our understanding. So that segment, I think it's in the middle of, of this, this video segment. Um, we talked about the influence of normative values and, and, and why there aren't any norms. Um, so again, this is a really, really good segment um, to finish up the week with. So I hope you enjoy it. If you have any questions, go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com, and we'll answer those questions next week. And so everybody have a great weekend, and I'll see you next week. Okay, so that performance versus health concept is very, very helpful, and I don't think there's... It's huge. It's huge. Because it's, it's you know, you, you're thinking in a way that's, you know, a, a, a bit different than my experience with most trainers and PTs, which is like, we need to give you what the textbook says is this level of internal rotation, and that'll fix your problems. But it's, maybe the problem isn't the discomfort if your goal an is- An average person, an average person has never set a world record other than maybe something where you can sit down in a chair. You know, maybe they watched more movies in a row than anybody else, but from a, like a performance related standpoint, average people don't do special things. My, my running gag is, an average person marries an, an average significant other. They live in an average house, in an average neighborhood. They make average income. They live to be 78 to 80 years old, right? And then they disappear, right? Because they were average, right? The people that, the people that we hold up as representations of greatness are not average. There's nothing average about them. You're the 16%, right, Bill? Well, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> okay. 16% is kind of an attitude. <laughs> okay. Right? Um, more, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a belief system. It's an attitude versus the, the it, true. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. The 16% lifestyle. <laughs> is that what you said, Nate? <laughs> That's funny. No, no it's, it's like, it's like, so there, there are no norms in regards to movement. None. There are averages, which is what we compare things to. Norms 
are idiot are like like your normal movement and my normal movement are are different because we are different people. We have different structure, and therefore our movement will be idiosyncratic because our capabilities are idiosyncratic. We use comparative averages, so we have a point of reference for comparison. Chasing an average for a superhuman may not be the best solution. Bill, I have a coaching cue question for the one arm press actually. Sure. So it's a flexion-based activity, which would mean that it's expansive in quality in your model. So when you I press it, okay, I said it then. So that, okay. that might you... answer my question. No, my, confusion, <laughs> my confusion is if it's also a propulsion event in my model, if that means anything to you, but would you, based on that, have to exhale? So you're getting flexion and internal rotation then. So, so then why would you want to exhale? Flexion out of the equation. Okay. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. It's not there. All we have at ER is IRs. You have, you have a representation of an arm overhead, okay? Mm -hmm. That has been defined in the traditional sense as flexion. Right. Okay. How many different ways can you get your arm over your head? Now, can I say my infinite answer? No. Okay. You got two options. You just get away by one way then. Well, if I, if I am pressing a load, right? Mm -hmm. I have to squeeze. Right. Okay. If I have to squeeze. You have to internally rotate. I have to internally rotate, don't I? Yeah. So is an overhead press the same as reaching overhead? No. Absolutely not. You are at, you are correct. I see. Yeah. There's a difference. Because when I'm pressing a load, that space that exists for external rotation isn't there. It doesn't exist. It is a space. Mm -hmm. It's not a line. It's not an arc. It's a right. space. It's based on the shape that you use to create the end result. That's why when Manuel tells somebody to press with their right arm, that's why they turn to the left. Because that's the only space available. It's the only space available. That's brilliant. Got it. You got, yep. it. You got, got it. it. See the difference? Absolutely. Right. I was labeling as a deflection-based event, but it's not. It's the only There's space no available. There's Let's no flexion. Right. It's not helpful. Right, no, no, because, it's not. Because if there's if there's if there's two possibilities to get my arm into that position, but it's dependent on the context, you're gonna figure it, it out. Then there can't be one solution that I call flexion, is it? Right. No. So then it's not helpful anymore. Mm -hmm. You see? Absolutely. Your your goal is to create the best representative model that you can, which takes time. It takes frustration, it takes effort. It's horribly painful. And if you're willing to do that, that's how you get better. Most people aren't willing to do that. They want easy. The younger the industry, the easier people want it because they want it now. Grace is willing 
to invest 30 years of her life to get better. Mm -hmm. Are you? <laughs> Michelle, shake your head no. <laughs> That's not what I was saying. I was saying, because Grace looked like she was talking and I said, we couldn't hear you. Oh, no, no, no. I, I am investing. We're okay, there you go. I no. hope I'm willing. Well, we'll find my out. Priorities might change eventually, and that's okay maybe, too. Maybe you know, maybe. But but point being, it's like it's like you know, this is people want easy. I don't, you know, it took me a long time to figure this out. But there is no easy if you want to be good. <laughs> 